heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. The Chicago Sun-Times recently shared the view of Joe Biden and most Democrats that armed citizens are a threat to government. But according to our nation's founders, that's exactly what we should be, a threat to an out-of-control government trying to take away our unalienable rights as protected by the Constitution. Welcome back to The Voice of a Nation. I'm Tim Alders, filling in for Malcolm, and you're listening on the America Out Loud Network. So once again, let freedom reign. Thomas Jefferson, one of the most famous of our nation's founders, had much to say on tyranny and government. Too big for its britches. Here are just some of my favorite quotes. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Okay, Mr. Biden. That means that if you're not following your oath to the Constitution, it's our duty as citizens to step up and take back control of our government. Quote, laws that forbid the carrying of arms disarm only those who are neither inclined nor determined to commit crimes. Such laws make things worse for the assaulted and better for the assailants. They serve rather to encourage than prevent homicides, for an unarmed man may be attacked with greater confidence than an armed man. Quote, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government. Quote, free men do not ask permission to bear arms. Quote, democracy is 51% of the people taking away the rights of the other 49%. Unquote. Those were from Thomas Jefferson. And it is so profound at where we're at today because our government is out of control. With the 17th Amendment that allowed the senators to be elected by the people instead of by the states, the states lost all recourse to keep control over the federal government. But this is one of the truths that Jefferson wrote in 1825, about 18 months before he died, in a letter to William Short. After all... It is but a truth which exists in every country. We're not suppressed by the rod of despotism. Men, according to their constitutions, and the circumstances in which they are placed, differ honestly in opinion. Some are Whigs, liberals, Democrats. Call them what you please. Others are Tories, aristocrats. The later fear the people and wish to transfer all power to the higher classes of society. The former considers the people as the safest depository of power. In the ultimate, they cherish them, therefore, and wish to leave in them all powers to the exercise of which they are competent. They were explicit that the power of this nation resides in our hands, not our elected officials. They wanted to make this very, very clear. Our government today, according to everything we hear and see, no longer believe in our liberties granted to us by God, not man. According to Joe Biden's press secretary, the January 6th assault on the Capitol and the tragic deaths and destruction that occurred underscored what we have long known. The rise of domestic violent extremism is a serious and growing national security threat. 
Not one Democrat, let alone many Republicans, made this statement about BLM in Antifa protests that burned cities, caused billions in damage. In fact, according to some members of BLM, it was Democrats like George Soros who bought and paid for the body armor and weapons they used. In fact, claims estimated that BLM injured, injuries exceeded over 1,000 police officers, officers killed 36 people and did over 8 billion in damage and get celebrated by pro sports they have not been disproven by fact checkers they simply state that it is hard to credit the deaths and damage to blm because anyone could have infiltrated the protest but january 6 does not get the same pass from media simple question i ask you why why does this trouble me? Well, our corrupt government leader has asked for three things from security advisors in our nation. First, he sent a, a direct request to the newly confirmed director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, to conduct a threat assessment in coordination with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. And his press secretary said this will produce a fact-based analysis on which we can shape our policy. Doesn't that terrify you that they're looking to once again label Christians, conservatives, faith-based people as extremists? Then the White House National Security Council will be tasked with building capacity to tackle and distribute extremist networks. Disrupt extremist networks. Sorry, they want to end radio stations like this being able to mobilize people for the Constitution. Homeland Security Advisor Elizabeth Sherwood Randall has asked Joshua Geltzer, a former N NSA uh, counterterrorism director, to lead a 100-day investigation into people like me. Then the administration will work to mobilize other factions of the government to address evolving threats, radicalization, and the role of social media as a threat to government. Opportunities to improve information sharing, operational responses, and more. This takes me back to the uh, Chicago Sun-Times article where they say, quote, more than ever, assault weapons are an undeniable threat to representative government. For far too long, threats of physical harm have been used to intimidate lawmakers trying to do something about America's nightmare of gun violence. The January 6th insurrection will only embolden those who make such threats. The political give and take at the heart of a democracy can't function under a threat of armed violence. The January 6th attacks on the U.S. Capitol has warned our nation like nothing that's come before, that lawmakers at every level are vulnerable to such threats. The United States needs to act before elected officials become paralyzed by threats from a small minority of pro-gun absolutionists. I pause here from their article and say, remember what I just quoted from Thomas Jefferson? Everything that the founders intended for us as people, they wish to stop. Yes, government should be vulnerable to our opinions and our anger and our outright distrust of them violating the Constitution. 
Then the article went on to say gun rights advocates have long argued that good guys with guns are an important defense against bad guys. But we have now seen how many people who up to that moment might have been classified as good guys were willing to attack police officers, smash their way into Congress and call for the death of a vice president and speaker of a house. I was there on January 6th. I did not see one gun. I did not hear one chant of death to the vice president and speaker of the house, yet they weren't even the vice president and speaker of the... Well, I guess they were talking about Pence, who was the vice president. What we wanted was them to take a close look at the electoral process of this nation and make sure that our votes count, which they no longer do, according to Democrats. Now the Chicago Sun-Times said two big steps needed now are the elimination of the open carrying of weapons in the United States, directly in violation of the Second Amendment, and the elimination of rigorous regulation of civil ownership of military-style firearms. And we'll get to that later on in this show about what the founders thought about military-style firearms. They said on January 6th, America saw an act of anarchy aimed at stopping lawmakers from doing their jobs. No one can feel confident that our nation won't see much more attempts. From Washington to state capitals to city halls, current laws are so lax they essentially give military weapons to terrorists. No, our government gives rocket launchers, grenades, tanks to civilians and children in the Middle East to overthrow their government. They do nothing. We're not terrorists. We're constitutional loving people and no weapons worth the January 6th. And the people beating up the police in the Capitol were Antifa and BLM, not Trump supporters. Yes, I will admit some Trump supporters got carried away in the excitement and went into the building when when Capitol Police opened the doors. And that was a mistake, but it's our house, not theirs. And we weren't there to stop Congress from doing their job. We were there to urge Republicans to do their job and investigate a vote that was stolen. I actually have video of the massive crowds, yet I never saw one gun, as I said before. Um, my opinion was this was an orchestrated infiltration to take full control of our liberties from those in charge who wish total control over our lives. You might say that that's a conspiracy theory by Mr. Constitution. But if it proves out to be true and we fail to act, we have lost everything America stands for because of our lack of action. When it comes to who ultimately is in control of our nation, many of those elected by us believe they have absolute discretion on what we can say and do. But the Constitution was never meant to restrict us. It was to restrict them. And that testifies these power-hungry thieves like nothing else. In questions of power... Let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. That was once again Thomas Jefferson. The Constitution was to change down the humans we elect, both male and female, to represent us by the laws and their duties spelled out in the Constitution. The Constitution of the United States of America was signed on September 17, 1787. 
The design of government under the Constitution was not haphazard. Our founding fathers understood that governments can oppress people. They knew it from their own experiences, and they knew it from their extensive scrutiny of governmental forms throughout history. Concentrated power was more dangerous. It was life-threatening. That's why in the beginning they balanced power between three branches. They gave each branch robust checks on the other two. They gave the national governments only enumerated powers and retained all other power in the hands of either the people or the states. They used the states to check the national government. The members of each branch were chosen by a different method. The term of office varied by government position. An impeachment process was defined for extreme cases, not hatred of a person. So... So I sometimes question myself with what the founders designed with the balance power between the three branches. We do not have that anymore. Um, with the branches each having robust check checks on each other, that's gone. Uh, they don't. The Supreme Court now just sort of goes along with their own opinions and not law. Um, the enumerated powers, they far exceeded those. Uh, using the states to check the national government with the election of senators now by popular vote and the states not appointing them, they have almost no say on the federal levels. Um, each member of each branch being chosen by a different method, that's now shot. Uh, the term of office varied by government position. They're pretty much lifelong appointees anymore. So the one thing that they feared, the concentrated political power of the federal government has happened. They believed that only only by limiting government could liberty survive the natural tendencies of man to dictate the habits of other men. The balanced separation of power with checks was designed to prevent tyranny. Each branch was given del delineated powers, and then each of these powers was limited and checked by another branch. The system was purposely designed to slow governmental actions enough to allow due deliberation. This frustrates those who want the government to always do something about every problem, but it also hampers the government for doing something grievous that affects our lives, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. This is where we're at. The Constitutional Convention debated long and hard about whether to call out each power individually or alternately to list restrictions on general powers. Basically, they had to decide whether to write down what the federal government could do or what the federal government could not do because they feared they might forget some crucial restrictions as delegated decide it was safer to define powers instead of limitations. Additionally, monarchies had general power, and since they had just escaped a monarchy, they would give their national government only clearly specified powers. This was the safer route because if they made an error, it would leave authority closer to the people. The national government was not restricted for all time to the enumerated powers. Non-enumerated powers were retained by the states or the people. But the founders included an amendment process, which the people could choose to, to use to delegate additional powers to the national government. This almost could be viewed today as a huge mistake. That's why people like me, Mr. Constitution, would like to go back to the original intent, because in almost every instance, the new amendments were 
made, they slowly removed chains the founders intended to restrict so that we as Americans have witnessed authority simply being usurped by the national government. We often hear laments that our political politicians no longer honor their pledge to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. This is backwards. The Constitution was never written for politicians. Our political leaders have no motivation to abide by a 200-year-old-plus restraining order. Americans must enforce the supreme law of the land. The first outside words of the Constitution read, We the people. It's our document. It was always meant to be ours, not the government's. It was left with each and every American the obligation to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. I know it's easier to blame the politicians and ourselves, but we are truly at fault here. Government's only desire is to cut us off from our unalienable rights, and by disarming us, they can easily achieve 100% control over us. Our guns are not a right to hunt or to defend us from criminals, except those in government. So now we'll look at how our nation's founders actually felt about guns through their own words, other than Thomas Jefferson. Let's go to Thomas uh, to George Washington first. A free people ought not to only be armed, but disciplined. He wrote that in his first annual address to both the House of Congress, January 8, 1790. So he spoke to both senators and House members. And then he said, quote, and that the said Constitution be never construed to authorize Congress to infringe the just liberty of the press, the rights of coincidence, or to prevent the people of the United States, who are peaceable citizens, from keeping their own arms, or to raise standing armies, unless necessary for the defense of the United States, or someone more to them." or to prevent the people from petitioning in a peaceably and orderly manner, manner the federal legislature for a redress of grievances, or to subject the people to unreasonable searches and seizures of their persons, papers, and possessions. He wrote that in the Massachusetts Convention, February 6, 1788. And then he went on to say that no man should scruple or hesitate a moment to use arms in defense of so valuable a blessing on which all the good and evil of life depends is clearly my opinion. And he put that in a letter to George Mason, April 5th, 1769. What he was basically saying there is America was never meant to have a standing army continually. That's a fact. Now, government's going to say we needed it to stop British from taking over, the French from taking over, to defend ourselves against the Middle East or Russia or China. If you look at it, they have utilized war to allow themselves to keep an army and able to crush Americans who want to rise up and throw off tyranny of our own government. We were supposed to be the standing army. We were supposed to be able to raise an army. So when our politicians today say that we shouldn't march on Washington, it goes completely against what our founding fathers intended for us to do if we fell down. Now, George Washington also wrote a letter to Alexander Hamilton, May 2nd, 1783, and he said, quote, it may be laid down as a primary position and the basis of our system that every citizen who enjoys the protection of a free government owes not only a proportion of his property, but even his personal service to defense of it. 
and consequently that the citizens of America, with a few legal and official exceptions, from 18 to 50 years of age should be born on the militia rolls, provided with uniform arms, and so far accustomed to the use of them that the total strength of the country might be called forth at short notice on a very interesting emergency. So not only are we supposed to be born on the rolls of the militia, which takes out the complete argument of the Supreme Courts and the federal government that only a militia is supposed to be uh, armed, they're supposed to provide us with uniform arms of today's civilization. Where's my tank? That's all I have to say. We are our nation's defenders, not our army, not our government. And in fact, I worry because the Oath Keepers in our military today, why aren't they standing up to a president giving unauthorized things and violating a constitution? We're supposed to have the weapons equal to that to the military. And that's what they fear, that we're able to defend ourselves. John Adams basically stated, quote, a free people ought not only be armed, but disciplined, to which end a uniform and well-digested plan is a requisite, and their safety and interests required that they should promote such manufactories as tend to render them independent of others for essential military supplies. John Adams gave that speech to Congress January 8, 1790. We're supposed to be independent of our government, armed by our government to defend ourselves from our government. Thomas Jefferson, once again, no free man shall ever be debarred from the use of arms. He wrote that in the Virginia Constitution, Draft 1, 1776. He also said, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery in a letter to James Madison, January 30th, 1787. Now, some of you might be asking why I'm giving you these dates, because many people say, well, Jefferson never said that. So the reason I give you is so you can go to the Library of Congress, type in Thomas Jefferson, letter to James Madison, January 30th, 1787, and see where Mr. Constitution pulled it up. And here's another another one in a letter to James Madison on December 20th, 1787. What country can preserve its liberties if their rulers are not warned from time to time that their people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take arms. Wow. We didn't even take arms to Washington, D.C. on January 6th, and our government's mad and now trying to take away our ability to do so. The laws that forbid the carrying of arms are laws of such nature they disarm only those who are neither inclined nor determined to commit crimes. Such laws make things worse for the assaulted and better for the assailants. I said that earlier, but it's worth telling you because he wrote that in the commonplace book quoting 18th century criminologist Caesar Beccario from 1774 to 76. We have to hold on to our unalienable rights. We have to do it because nobody else will do it for us. Our government, for sure. Thomas Jefferson, in a letter to Peter Carr, August 19, 1785, a strong body makes the mind strong. As to the species of exercise, I advise the gun. While this gives moderate exercise to the body, it gives boldness, 
enterprise and independence to the mind. Games played with the ball and others of nature are too violent for the body and stamp no character on the mind. Let your gun, therefore, be your constant companion of your walks. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that important for us to remember? Isn't that what the intentions of our founding fathers were? You're listening to the viewpoint of the nation. I'm Tim Alders filling in for Malcolm. Coming up next, you're going to have some sponsors. Please support them. Please support America Out Loud and the other vocal, passionate people we have doing their shows because all we're trying to do is educate and inform and hope you take this information and research yourself don't believe mainstream media go out and find out for yourself what truth really is because we're not going to hear it anymore we have to stand up we have to defend and i'm going to leave you with one more letter to william johnson on june 12th 1823 on every occasion of constitutional interpretation let us carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted. Recollect the spirit manifested in the debates, and instead of trying to force what the meaning may be squeezed out of the text or invented against it, instead let us confirm to the probable one in which it was passed. We can't allow today's modern interpretations of what the founders intended for our lives to be the final word on the Constitution, because unfortunately, it's the final word of two political parties who want to dominate our lives. We have to stand strong. We have to stand bold. We have to stand upright in the cause of liberty. The second half, we'll continue this conversation. This is Tim Alders. We'll see you on the flip side. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. I want to talk to you about online shopping for a moment. If you're like me, you're letting your fingers do the walking through the Internet pages, right? Some of the things that bother me is that the big players in the online shopping market really don't support the ideals that I do, like law enforcement, the military, and honoring men and women who put their lives on the line. I don't think that a lot of the platforms do that, but there's a new one coming online in March. It's called ShopToTheRight.com, and it's pretty damn cool idea. It is all about having a shopping network that has all of the, the greatest deals. You can put your stuff on it if you're a business owner, but you can shop it because you know that, A, you're going to get the best deals, and secondly, you're going to be supporting a platform that supports America. It is going to be changing the way we shop, believing that our country is, in fact, an amazing place to live. So check it out, and I think you're going to want to support it. I know that I am. ShopToTheRight.com. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. 
created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Fighting every day against the cancel culture that wants to silence and erase us. Five years on the air, and we will not be silenced. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Welcome back to The Voice of a Nation. I'm Tim Alders. We're talking gun rights. We're talking the Second Amendment. We're talking the Constitution. The final letter from Thomas Jefferson, he wrote to Giovanni Faberoni, June 8, 1778. He says, I enclose you a list of the killed, wounded, and captives of the enemy from the commencement of hostilities at Lexington in April 1775 until November 1777, since which there has been no event of any consequence. I think that upon the whole, it has been about one half the number lost by then. In some instances, more but in others less. The difference is ascribed to our superiority in taking aim when we fire. Every soldier in our army having been intimate with his gun from his infancy. Once again, the founding fathers are talking about teaching kids to shoot since the day they were born. Born into the militia. Remember that. Don't let the Supreme Court or Congress tell you you're not meant to be the one who defends our country. They'll say, well, you have a standing army for that. We say, no, you have a standing army. We're supposed to be in charge. Give us control of that army and we'll let go of our guns. They're not going to do that at all. Benjamin Franklin, believe it or not, the man like guns. In a historical review of Pennsylvania, 1759, he wrote, they can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserves neither liberty nor safety. Giving up your gun rights is not the smartest thing. He also said, and this is one of everybody I know's favorites, democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. Liberty is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. This is what we have. We have Congress, the Senate, and the presidency colluding with the Supreme Court on what to have for lunch. And what they want to eat is our liberties, our first Ten Amendments. They want to take it away from us. A well-armed lamb, being the populace of the people, is the only thing that can protect us from that. George Mason wrote... In the Virginia Ratifying Convention of June 4th, 1788, I ask who are the militia? They consist now of the whole people, except a few public officers. So they consisted of everybody except the elected officials. He also wrote... um, In the debates of the several states' convention at the adoption of the federal constitution, June 14, 1788... 
To disarm the people is the most effectual way to enslave them. Uh, This is what we have to do. He finished up at the Virginia Declaration of Rights, June 12th, that a well-regulated militia composed of the body of the people trained to arms is the proper, natural, and safe defense of a free state. That standing armies in time of peace should be avoided as dangerous to liberty. And that in all cases, the military should be under strict subordination to and governed by the civil power. That's the people, folks. It's not the government. Government. The army is supposed to be under our control if we have a standing army, not anybody else. Noah Webster, I love some of the quotes that Noah Webster had. Um, he did an examination of the leading principles of the federal constitution and he published it October 10, 1787. And he said, before a standing army can rule, the people must be disarmed. And they are in almost every country in Europe. The supreme power in America cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword because the whole body of the people are armed and constitute a force superior to any band of regular troops. Unfortunately, that's not the case today. They have made weapons beyond that of regular civilians. And that was never the intentions of our government. Now, our government will say, well, we can't give a tank to a normal citizen. Why not? If you can afford it, why can't you have it? James Madison's, beside the advantage of being armed, which the Americans possess over the people of almost every other nation, the existence of a subordinate government to which the people are attached and by which the militia officers are appointed forms a barrier against the enterprise of ambition more insurmountable than any which a simple government of any form can admit of. Once again, they're telling us that we're supposed to be in control of the military, that we're supposed to be in control of the government. Remember this, Federalist number 46, that's a Federalist paper that James Madison penned, January 29, 1788. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. A well-regulated militia composed of the body of the people trained to arms is the best and most natural defense of a free country. Notice they sort of mimic each other. They, they sort of tell each other. Now, when I tell you you're in charge, Jay Madison in the, in the Annals of Congress, 434, June 8, 1789, so you can find that, said the ultimate authority, wherever the derivative may be found, resides in the people alone. We are the government. Mr. Biden, Ms. Harris, Pelosi, they don't believe, but it's us. William Pitt. William Pitt gave a speech in the House of Commons November 8th. Uh, November 18th, 1783. And it's William Pitt the Younger. There is a William Pitt the Older. Necessity is the plea for every infringement of human freedom. It is the argument of tyrants. It is the creed of slaves. Richard Henry Lee. And I'm giving you some founders that aren't common. A militia, when properly formed, are in fact the people themselves and include, according to the past and general usage of the states, all men, which at that time meant all men and women capable of bearing arms to preserve liberty. 
It is essential that the whole body of the people always possess arms and to be taught alike, especially when young, how to use them. Richard Henry Lee, Federal Farmer, number 18, January 25th, 1788. No free government was ever founded or ever preserved its liberty without uniting the characters of the citizens and soldiers and those destined for the defense of the state. Such area well-regulated militia composed of the freeholders, citizens, and husbandmen who take up arms to preserve their property as individuals and their rights as free men. He wrote that in the uh, Charleston Gazette, December 8, 1788. Patrick Henry, one of the most passionate and one of the founders of the Sons of Liberty, wrote, guard with jealous attention to public liberty. Suspect everyone who approaches that jewel. Unfortunately, nothing will preserve it but downright force. Whenever you give up that force, you are ruined. The great object is that every man be armed. Everyone who is able might have a gun. Patrick Henry's speech to the Virginia Ratifying Convention, June 5th, 1778. Are we at last brought to such humiliating and debasing degradation that we cannot be trusted with arms for our own defense? Where is the difference between having our arms in possession and under our direction and having them under the management of Congress? If our defense be the real object of having those arms in whose hands can they be trusted with more propriety or equal safety to us as in our own hands? That's a good question, right? Can we trust the defense of our nation that was meant to be ours? Our government, our country, our unalienable rights, if we put all our guns in the hands of Congress as they want it, we're supposed to depend on them being honorable people and not power-hungry tyrants. Sir Sir George Tucker, another founder you might not have heard of, right? He wasn't a founder. Sir George Tucker, Blackstone Commentaries on the Laws of England, 1803. This may be considered as a true uh, palladium of liberty. The right of self-defense is the first law of nature. In most governments, it has been the study of rulers to confine this right within the narrowest limits possible. Wherever standing armies are kept up and the right of the people to keep and bear arms is under any color or pretext whatsoever prohibited, liberty, if not already annihilated, is on the brink of, of destruction. This comes from a person who saw armies under the control of just government. Now, our government will tell us, yes, they have sworn an oath to the Constitution. But if that's the case, where are our military commanders when our politicians violate their oaths? We are the ultimate and final defense of our nation. Thomas Paine The supposed quietude of a good man allures the ruffian, while on the other hand, arms, like law, discourage and keep the invader and the plunderer in awe and preserve order in the world as well as property. The balance of power is the scale of peace. The same balance would be preserved were not all the world destitute of arms. 
for all would be alike. But since some will not, others dare not lay them aside. And while a single nation refuses to lay them down, it is proper that all should keep them up. Horrid mischief would ensue were one half the world deprived of the use of them. For while... For while ambition have a place in the heart of man, the weak will become a prey to the strong. The history of every age and nation establishes these truths and facts. Need but little arguments when they provide themselves. That's in Thomas Paine, Thoughts of a Defensive War, that was in the Pennsylvania Magazine, July 1775. What it's talking about is when America was settled, we were allowed to bring arms to America in order to protect ourselves from the Indians, from wildlife, from animals. And when we used our arms to um, cut the chains of England, we always intended to keep them because all other nations where kings ruled, where oligarchies and monarchies um, controlled the people, all other socialist nations removed the citizens' ability to defend themselves. I would like to say I could just trust in the military to come up and stop our government, but we've seen instance after instance of violations of the constitutions what nobody has stepped up and stood against. Samuel Adams and that the said Constitution be never construed to authorize Congress to infringe the just liberty of the press or the rights of the conscience, or to prevent the people of the United States who are peaceable from keeping their own arms or to raise their own army. Joseph Story, the right of citizens to keep and bear arms has justly been considered as the palladium of the liberties of a republic, since it offers a strong moral check against the usurpation of arbitrary powers of rulers, and will generally, even if these are successful in the first instance, enable the people to resist and triumph over them. He said that in the Commentaries on the Constitution of the United States, 1833. What everybody's talking about, what we've gone over and over, is the rights for us to keep guns, which our current sitting person in the, in the White House, uh, Mr. Joe Biden and Ms. Kamala Harris, want to take away from us, along with Congress, many of the Democrats and even some Republicans. Why? Why are they so afraid of us being able to defend ourselves from them? What do they have planned for our future that... It depends on them getting our guns from us. Elbridge Gary um, of Massachusetts, uh, the Annals of Congress, 750, August 17, 1789, a member of Congress. What, sir, is the use of a militia? It is to prevent the establishment of a standing army, the bane of liberty. Whenever governments mean to invade the rights and liberties of the people, they always attempt to destroy the militia in order to raise an army upon their ruins. We already learned through this show that we are the militia, born and raised as the founders intended. We might not be on the rolls of a militia, but every person born in these United States, legally and lawfully, is a militia member, and they've been violating their duty by not giving us guns. Alexander Hamilton, for it is a truth 
which the experience of ages has attested that the people people are always in most danger when the means of injuring their rights are in the possession of those whom they entertain the least suspicion. We're not supposed to just trust our government wholly that they have good intentions for us, right? Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 25 on December 21st, 1787 said, If the representatives of the people betray their constituents, then there is no resource left but in the exertion of that original right of self-defense, which is paramount to all positive forms of government, and which against the usurpations of the national rulers may be exerted with infinitely better prospect of success than against those of rulers of individual states in a single state. If the persons entrusted with supreme power become usurpers, the different parcels, subdivisions, or districts of which it consists, having no distinct government in each, can take no regular measure for defense, the citizens must rush to arms, without concert, without system, without resources, except in their courage and despair. They're saying that it would be a sad day if we have to stand up and fight for our unalienable rights. And he went on in Federalist 28, um, if circumstances should at any time oblige the government to form an army of any magnitude, that army can never be formidable to the liberties of the people, while there is a large body of citizens, little if at all inferior to them in discipline and the use of arms, who stand ready to defend their own rights and those of their fellow citizens. This appears to me to be the only substitute that can be devised for a standing army and the best possible security against it. If it should exist, how can we fight against our military? It would be really hard to do, but the military is not in our control. It's not in the state's control. It's in the federal government, a federal government that wants to remove and wipe out these same unalienable rights, the rights they have no authority to touch. They want to destroy them. We have to stand up. We have to fight. We have to, to be able to keep control of our own lives. Uh, Tench Cox wrote in the Philadelphia Federal Gazette, June 18, 1789, as civil rulers, not having their duty to the people before them, may attempt to tyrannize, and as the military forces, which must be occasionally raised to defend our country, might pervert their power to the injury of their fellow citizens, the people are confirmed by the article in their right to keep and bear their private arms." Once again, arms equal to that of any standing army our nation can raise up against us. He then went on to talk about militias of these commonwealths. And who are the militia? Are they not ourselves? Is it not feared then that they shall turn our arms each man against his own? Congress has no power to disarm the militia. Their swords and every other terrible implement of the soldier are the birthright of an American. The unlimited power of the sword is not in the hands of either the federal or state governments. But where I trust in God, it will ever remain in the hands of the people. John Dickerson 
John Dickerson is the person uh, that you should recognize this quote at the very end of this, July 6, 1775. With hearts fortified with these animating reflections, we most solemnly before God and the world declare that exerting the utmost energy of these powers, which our beneficent creator has graciously bestowed upon us, the arms we have been compelled by our enemies to assume, we will, in defiance of every hazard, with unabating firmness and perseverance, employ for the preservation of our liberties, being with one mind resolved to die free man rather than to live as slaves. Roger Sherman's, during the debates on the Militia Act of 1790, conceived it to be the privilege of every citizen and one of the most essential rights to bear arms and to resist every attack upon his liberty or property by whomsoever made the particular states like private citizens have a right to be armed and to be defended by the force of arm their rights when invaded even if by their own government. Zachariah Johnson, Virginia Ratifying Convention, June 25th, 1788. The people are not to be disarmed of their weapons. They are left in full possession of them. One cannot deny the intentions of the Second Amendment, but we can deny our government from restricting in by the supreme laws of this nation. Once again, I ask you, please, if you believe in what was spoken here today, it is important important that you share this show and all other shows on America Out Loud. It's imperative, and I want you to know my stance, my belief. I stand firm with the Second Amendment and my right to keep and bear arms equal to military weaponry. For me, the arguments based on fact resonate more than emotional-based legislation coming out of our Congress. The Second Amendment, often referred to as the right to bear arms, is one of the first Ten Amendments that formed the Bill of Rights, ratified in 1791 by the U.S. Congress. Differing interpretations of the amendment have fueled a long-running debate over gun control legislation and the rights of individual citizens to buy, own, and carry firearms. The Second Amendment reads, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Referred to in modern times as the individual's right to carry and use arms for self-defense. The Second Amendment was envisioned by the framers of the Constitution, according to the, co- the College of William and Mary Law Professor and future U.S. District Court Judge S.T. George Tucker in 1803 in his great work, Blackstone's Commentaries, with notes of reference to the Constitution and laws of the federal government of the United States and the Commonwealth of Virginia as the true palladium of liberty. In addition to checking federal power, the Second Amendment also provides state governments with that Luther Martin, 1774, described as the last coup de grace that would enable the states to thwart an opposed and general government. Last, it is enshrined the ancient Florentine and Roman, Roman constitutional principle of civil and military virtue by making every citizen a soldier and every soldier a citizen. Until 2008, the Supreme Court of the United States had never seriously considered the constitutional scope of the Second Amendment. 
In its first hearing on the subject in Presser versus Illinois, 1886, the Supreme Court held that the Second Amendment prevented the states from prohibiting the people from keeping and bearing arms so as to, to deprive the United States of their rightful resource for maintaining the public security. More than four decades later, in the United States versus Schwimmer, in 1929, the Supreme Court cited the Second Amendment as enshrining that the duty of individuals to defend our government against all enemy, whenever necessary, arises as a fundamental principle of the Constitution. In holding that the common defense was one of the purposes for which the people ordained and established the Constitution. Meanwhile, in the United States versus Miller in 1939, in a prosecution under the Federal Firearms Act of 1934, the Supreme Court actually avoided addressing the constitutional scope of the Second Amendment by merely holding that the possession or use of a shotgun having a barrel of less than 18 inches in length was not any part of the ordinary military equipment pr pr protected by the Second Amendment. They basically said that you couldn't take a gun that the military used and cut it down to hide it. But every citizen was allowed to have ordinary military equipment. Well, last I know of the military, every member was issued a fully automatic M16. And according to our Constitution, according to our founding fathers, we're supposed to be given the same weaponry that a standing army would have. History shows as time passes and government continues to grow beyond the scope of the Constitution that the situation is becoming apparent to the original meaning of our founding fathers intended. We are allowed to have ordinary military equipment to protect ourselves and our state from unlawful federal mandates. The argument Democrats are trying to utilize that military-style weapons are not protected was already decided in the Supreme Court when they stipulated we can have every military-grade weapon. In conclusion, the right to keep and bear arms is a right from God, not from government. And it is there to defend all other God-given rights, and no legislation can remove those liberties. So now you know your rights. You know your liberties. Do you know your heart? Do you know what's important to you? What we're doing is imperative to protecting the unalienable rights that God gave us. We have to stand up and stand against unlawful, unconstitutional laws passed by Congress. We can't depend on the Supreme Court. They're no longer a check on Congress. We can no longer trust the states because they lost their power under the 17th Amendment and have no control over senators. We have so much riding on our shoulders, so much that the founders of this nation entrusted us with. We have the very future of our children and grandchildren um, to defend. Will we defend it? Where is your breaking point? Because, folks, they will break you. That is their intentions. Government intends to take away everything with the mask mandates, with not allowing us to gather, with trying to pass all these new gun laws, with talking about 
labeling every conservative who supported President Trump as an extremist in this nation. They have already targeted the lawful citizens who are part controllers of them, not vice versa. They do not control our destiny. We control theirs. We have two choices. We can either separate as a nation, divorce ourselves from the federal government. I'd love to keep the the name the United States and have the majority of the the red states go off on our own. Um, Other than that, we have to keep our arms because an armed revolution may be coming to this nation. If the Democrats have their way, they will continually bankrupt future generations. They will continually put in jeopardy your children and grandchildren. They think they can just spend, spend, spend. They can make deals with foreign countries. This was never the intentions of the founders. I urge you, learn the founders' intention on this nation. Read the Enlightenment era. Read the letters the founders wrote back and forth to each other. And if you can't do that, read the book Origins of Liberty that I wrote. You can find on America Out Loud's bookshelf and share this with everybody. Because if we don't get the word out that we have rights, that we are in control of the government, then we have sacrificed the one thing that the founders hold dear, and that is that God gave us our unalienable rights and that no man can ever take it away from us. We have to stand strong. We have to stand united. We have to wake people up to what this is all about and what the intentions are of this out-of-control federal bureaucracy that is taking over our nation. Stand up. Be strong. You're listening to America Out Loud. I'm Tim Alders. Make sure you listen to the other hosts on other topics. Find the hosts that match your passions, but expand your passions. If you're pro-life, become pro-Second Amendment, because there is no pro-life or defending life without the Second Amendment. If you're pro-free speech, free press, and freedom of religion, you better support pro-life and pro-guns, because without it, we're going to lose everything. It's imperative that we unite. Once again, I'm Tim Alders. Until next time, you can also find my book in our bookstore. And Liberty Makes the Perfect Gift. Take care. God bless. And may America remain America.